Welcome back to Freightways Live at Home. I'm here with Doug Wagner, uh, the CEO of Echo Logistics. Doug, how are you? I'm good. How are you, Craig? Doing well. How how are things in COVID uh, world impacting Echo? How are you guys dealing with it? Well, you know, we were able to uh, rally into the work at home mode, and and uh, we've got 2,600 employees all working from home, and and it's actually gone pretty well. It's amazing what we've learned in this time about our ability to work from home. And uh, I think the other thing that's interesting is just kind of the esprit de corps that it's created, you know, with everybody having a common purpose of getting through this and serving our clients and taking care of our carriers. So, you know, it's been a challenge, but it's also been kind of exciting to see everybody rally. Do you think this is a permanent opportunity for Echo? Do you, do you think parts of your operation will stay remote or is the plan to get back into the office as soon as uh, feasible and safe? We're comfortable in this environment, and I think as the uh, various states clear their orders to uh, you know, go back to work, we're going to take it slow. We're going to uh, follow the federal guidelines um, in the three phases, but we're also going to make it voluntary. So I think initially, when we open up one of our offices, it'll be available to those that want to come back to work, and for those who want to continue working at home, we're going to allow that and, and probably uh, into phase three. And, and at some point, I think we'll get everybody back to work, but we're, we're going to just take it slow and, and let it kind of happen organically. But I do think it causes us to question, you know, going forward, you know, do people need to come to work five days a week? You know, maybe maybe uh, in a city like Chicago where you can have a one and a half hour commute one way, uh, maybe it's a great fringe benefit of working for Echo to be able to work from home for one or two days. Yeah, I mean, I, I have a 15 commute in from my house here in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Most of our staff is probably not more than 20 minutes. But we've had the same conversation whether we would make this permanent. Uh, you know, we were looking at adding office space here in Chattanooga prior to COVID. And we certainly have reconsidered that. We're not going to do it anytime soon. But we've actually talked about, does it make sense for us just to stay uh, permanently in some type of capacity work from home. So I imagine this is a, a pretty consistent opportunity for folks in all businesses to evaluate it. Yeah, I mean, one thing that we've noticed uh, for myself, as well as you know, talking to a lot of our people, um, we're more productive from home. You know, Not only do I gain back, in my case, three hours of my life every single day from commuting, but I don't have as many interruptions. You know, you try to have an open door policy and, and people show up unannounced and you invite them in and you have a 20, 30 minute conversation. But unfortunately that conversation occurred in the middle of something that you were doing and now you've got to restart and figure where you were and get back in the groove. And uh, you know, I just, I'm, I'm a lot more productive at home and I, I'm talking to more people, I'm reaching out, I'm, I'm reconnecting, I'm, I'm talking to people at all levels of the company, I'm talking to people in the industry. And, and so for that, uh, I feel actually more productive and I, I've heard the same thing from a lot of people. I, I'm in the same boat. Uh, I have a new infant, we, you know, he's one years old. He, he passed uh, his first, year, first birthday was just a few weeks ago and I've spent more time with him in the last month and probably his whole life before that, just because he's at home, we're at home, and it's been wonderful. Uh, I actually, and I don't know how for you as CEO running a company, uh, but certainly for me, I am more relaxed than I remember being in a long time. Yeah, I mean, if you're given the stress that we're all in right now, um, 
I've been able to stay pretty calm and pretty relaxed. And I think it's just because, you know, there's good work-life balance at the moment, you know, spending time with the family, uh, having a few more hours in the day to work or do whatever. And, and uh, it's, it's been helpful for me. And, and I think uh, a lot of people feel the same way. So, Doug, let's talk a little bit about the freight market. We saw a massive surge of activity in the month of March, and then we saw this dramatic drop-off really for the last couple of weeks. What did you guys experience during the, ma- the surge, and what are you seeing right now in the market? Yeah, I think um, we're seeing that exact same thing. On March 16th uh, was our first optional day uh, that you could work from home, and a couple of days later, our governor announced that it was mandatory. But uh, for that week and uh, the following week of March, we huge surge in demand, uh, you know, largely from food and beverage type companies that um, were trying to get their products to market, uh, some of the shortages that were going on in the grocery stores, et cetera. And so we saw truckload really strong. And then as more and more states started closing up and, and sending people home, uh, we saw, first of all, the glut of truckloads started to slow down in, in the first week of April. Um, and then LTL for us really took a big hit because, you know, a lot of our LTL clients are small and mid-sized companies. And what we found is a lot of those companies are simply closed. And in other cases, people aren't buying the products that they sell. So uh, we've seen pretty major hit in LTL. Um, truckload has slowed down. But the good news for me is it seems like it's leveled off. And in fact, the last week even starting to pick up a little bit. So I said on an earnings call last week to investors that, you know, to us, it it feels like it's going to be a U-shaped recovery. I think there are some that are predicting a V and there's some that are predicting a W, but uh, I don't think it's an L. And uh, so as we start to, you know, come out of that U, you know, the question is, is it a wide U or a narrow U? And, And I think we've hit the bottom. Yeah, I I actually share that sentiment with you. Uh, Zach Strickland and I uh, are going to have a debate about this uh, uh, regarding whether or not uh, uh, we've actually hit that uh, bottom and whether or not the market's going to recover. I certainly share your view uh, that we've hit the bottom and probably did last week. Uh, And while I don't expect an acceleration of demand, I certainly expect that we'll see better conditions going forward than what we have seen. Yeah, I, I noticed something interesting, and you may have studied it more, but, you know, Georgia went back to work on Friday, and uh, we saw some signs of some tightening capacity in, in the southeast, and I looked at the uh, sonar outbound load tender rejection index for Georgia, and it actually ticked up the last couple of days. So, uh, to me, that's encouraging that, you know, as states come back online, you know, maybe there's a backlog of freight that's going to come with it. I think so. I mean, I, I think one of the things that I'm looking at is the automotive sector. I mean, it's such an in, important part of our industrial manufacturing side of our economy, and it drives so much freight, uh, whether it's the automotive suppliers or the automotive manufacturers themselves. I think as those come back online in mid-May, uh, I expect we'll see a lot of expedited shipments, and really uh, that becomes, for me, the restarting of the U.S. economy. Yeah. So, Doug, what, what are your, I mean, you've talked about a, a U-shaped recovery, but what is Echo doing right now as volumes have dropped off? We've seen a lot of companies uh, look at, at how they're optimizing their business around technology, 
starting to automate a lot of the workflow and processes. How are you guys using technology to sort of, or this opportunity right now to, to think about your business going forward? Well, I would say that, you know, we've never stopped using technology. We have a, a pretty robust technology and data science roadmap that we've been working on uh, for some time and, and we've increased our investment this year. So even without the COVID-19 crisis, uh, we, we had a plan. Now, since the crisis has occurred, you know, we've, we've tightened our belt a little bit. We've made some cost reductions, but one area where we've not held back is, is in IT and, and data science. And in fact, we're, we're kind of at a phase in our development cycle where we're starting to push a lot of the new functionality into production. So it's, it's very timely for us. Uh, that technology does a variety of things. Uh, in, in one sense, it, it's uh, valuable to our, our shippers who can be more automated if they want to. Uh, same for our carriers with our, our carrier portal and mobile apps. But also internally, there's there's a lot of uh, new echo technology that's rolling out over the next few months that's got a lot of internal productivity aspects to it. And so all those things combined, I think, just uh, make us a lot healthier in the future, regardless of what the economy throws at us. So Doug, as you think about as the economy comes back, inevitably it will, um, what does this mean that you won't have to add as many human resources in the future? Perhaps you'll be able to use technology to augment and grow uh, with, with, with less requirement to add heads as you grow? Yes, we had new sales classes that were going to be starting in March, April, and May, and we've delayed all of those, and we'll probably downsize them. Uh, but our vision going forward is that we can book a lot more shipments with, with the same number of people. So, you know, over time, as the technology rolls out, as we get adoption uh, from our partners, uh, we would expect to be a lot more productive and be able to do more work with less people. What do you think is going to happen to this industry? I mean, we've seen a lot of, in particularly the brokerage 3PL industry specifically. Last year, there were a number of truck, trucking asset-based carriers that went under. Uh, we've, we've seen a lot of the freight brokerages uh, that have cut back in staff and, and have right-sized to the current state of the market. But I also would expect we're seeing a lot of compression uh, and consolidation happen in the industry. I mean, what are you hearing from your peers, and what do you expect to see in the brokerage industry in uh, the later half of 2020? Well, I'm not sure how everybody is doing right now, but I, I, we've kind of got our heads down focused on what we're doing. But I think bigger, bigger uh, picture, you're going to see continued embrace of technology. You know, obviously, there's a, a bit of a technology arms race uh, going on at present. Uh, I don't think that's going to stop. I think one of the challenges that you have, though, is industry adoption. You know, there's a lot of trucking companies that, you know, literally run their business on a whiteboard. Um, and some of them aren't going to change anytime soon. And so for those companies, you have to do business the old-fashioned way. But I think over time, um, it will be totally automated. You know, and if you think about financial markets and how, you know, they're still intermediaries but they're very automated intermediaries. And I think that that's the world that we're headed to. And, and as I think about the competition, you know, it's, it's a big space, uh, lots of opportunity. I think the propensity for shippers to use a non-asset based third party uh, continues to increase. A, a bigger portion of their spend is going to people like Echo. Uh, so there's, there's room for, you know, I think uh, the big to get bigger. And I think if, if you're a small 
player in this space. You, you can get big as well, but you've got to have capital, you've got to have technology, you've got to have the know-how, and you have to somehow accelerate to scale so that you can be relevant and competitive in all the markets. So I do think there will be consolidation. Um, and you know the old adage that the get big get bigger, I think there's some truth to that because the big can afford to reinvest capital and, and to technology and, and growth initiatives. But I think there are some small players that will, will do well too and, and uh, uh, we'll, we'll see how it plays out. But I think ultimately there will be fewer brokers and more big brokers. Yeah, and the bigger, as you mentioned, will, uh, my view is that the, the bigger do get bigger. Uh, but it seems like margins or take per transaction uh, may be compressed in the future. Do you, do you adhere to that or do you think uh, it, it's always a cycle? Uh, but do you think we'll see margins get to the levels they were in later 18, 19? Yes and no. <laughs> I feel strongly both ways. I, I think there will be a longer-term secular compression of margins as people get more efficient um, and don't need to, to have the margins that we've traditionally had. However, you know when you contrast the supply and demand of capacity and the lag effect of, of pricing, it's always going to create periods of expanding, you know, intermediary margins and contracting margins. You know, just just in the last six weeks, we've seen kind of a microcosm of how that plays out. And, and I know that you know it um, when when the demand for capacity ex exceeds supply, uh, the prices go up. Uh, third parties like Echo get our margins squeezed because the price that we pay is, is going up faster than we can pass through to customers. Um, likewise, when um, demand softens or when there's an excess of, of supply of capacity, the price that we pay for that capacity falls faster than, than what we charge customers and our margins expand. So you're always going to have that cyclical aspect uh, that correlates to the supply and demand of capacity. But I think the, the overall longer trend in, in a longer time frame is such that you know there will be some compression of margins you know in the long term. Yeah, I actually uh, it was mid March. I had a conversation with an executive of a a newer age uh, a freight broker who had not seen the cycle play out to the degree that you know they were much uh, smaller when we had the last sort of down cycle. And their comment was, should I be increasing my rates right now when we saw the surge? And I warned them, I said, surge is not going to last. And when freight drops off, it's going to drop off pretty violently. You don't want to be out of the routing guide. Because if you have beverage or you have food services or consumer packaged goods, uh, not only are you going to uh, want those volumes, but all of your competitors are going to be calling on those same shippers. And you don't want to be the one that took rate increases during that cycle. Right. Well. Rates are very depressed right now. I mean, just it's it's funny. Almost uh, time is being compressed in terms of the cyclicality of things. We've seen rates fall in the last couple of weeks, uh, an amazing amount. But likewise, we saw them ex expand pretty aggressively at the latter half of March. What what do you use your message to uh, the trucking fleets, the drivers that are out there, the owner operators, and the fleets that you guys work with? What is your message to them when you're talking about rate and the current economic cycle of trucking? I mean, ultimately, there's a price for a truck uh, that you have paid because you have a certain amount of margin in it. You guys probably ate a lot of the, the losses uh, during the last run-up, and now you know it's the opposite. 
How do you handle that with your driver population and your fleets that you work with? We try to be open and transparent. You know, some of the new technology that we're rolling out will have even more transparency and, and the drivers will be able to see the pricing and bid on the loads that they want. Um, but, you know, the, the, it, it's really kind of an econ 101 problem, right? If, if you've got more supply of something uh, and, and people are trying to clear their inventory, uh, they lower their price. And, and, you know, unless they collude, which they don't, uh, it's it just finds its own watermark, and, and so we our profits don't materially change on a load in a tight market or a loose market. The price changes, uh, the price that we pay and the price that we charge changes, but you know the the gross profit dollars or the net revenue dollars per shipment really don't fluctuate all that much. So we we just tend to ride the market and and take what the market gives us. What what we feel. Uh, in our margins is just sort of that second derivative effect when the, 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 the rate of change is changing, uh, there's a lag that impacts us either positively or negatively. And, and you're right, you know, sometimes we benefit from it and some, sometimes we have pain and, and we eat the cost and we move freight uh, at negative gross margins. Yeah, the, it's been violent in the past month, but what we've seen on our, at least from our data, is while it's increasing and we're likely at a bottom, it hasn't been this massive acceleration, which is probably healthier for you guys because it gives you time for your customer rates to sort of catch up to the market, assuming we don't see a massive surge. Well, and there's a trade-off. Like, like if you look right now, our margins have been expanding the last few weeks uh, because the price has been dropping. But correlated to that is that there's less volume, right? So so the, the very thing that's causing prices to fall is a lack of demand. And so where we might make a little bit more margin uh, per shipment, there's fewer shipments. Um, and the reverse of that's true in a tight market. You know, our margins will get squeezed because the price is moving up faster than we can pass it through or we're locked into contractual rates. Um, so the bad news is our, our, our gross margins decline, our, our our gross profit or net revenue per shipment declines, but there's more freight. And that's the very thing that's causing the rising prices and the tighter capacity. So where we get squeezed on margins, we might even have some some uh, lost profit on, on certain loads. We, we uh, so-called make it up in volume, as they say. Um, and then you get into a, a point in the cycle where there starts to become spot freight opportunities, and uh, those generally have healthier margins. So. Uh, for our business, it's it's trying to read the cycles, uh, anticipate the cycles, uh, price smart, and uh, and also strategically, how much of your freight do you want to be contract, and how much of it do you want to come from the spot market? Yeah, it's portfolio management. I love the analogy to the financial markets. I know you're a student of financial markets uh, and and love what's happening. Where do you think this goes in terms of post COVID? What do you think changes? in this industry that is different now than it would have been if we had had, if COVID didn't exist? Well, it's interesting. One thing we've learned is when we put out technology, let's say for trucking companies, um, there are some trucking companies that are eager to adopt it. And the same, by the way, goes for shippers. There are some that are eager, eager to adopt it and jump on the bandwagon. There's some that demand it. And then there's others that just aren't ready for it yet. 
And uh, it's frustrating for us because, you know, we, we would love to have all of our customers and all of our carriers completely automated. It, it makes business uh, easier. It takes cost out for us. And we think it provides a better service product. But, you know, some market participants are just not ready. Um, one of the things that I've seen happen, and it's happened in part due to the kind of the industry focus on the digital freight marketplaces, and I think also that this COVID uh, crisis is going to force it to happen too, is some of those slow adopters are starting to speed up and they're starting to accelerate their willingness to deal with technology, to, to go to a marketplace uh, to book capacity. And I think that, you know, ultimately going back to the financial uh, analogy, you know, you used to want to buy a stock, you would call a broker and you'd place an order. You know, well, today you go online to E-Trade or any number of platforms and you do it all electronically and you get the charts and the graphs and the pricing and you can see the buy, uh, the bid ask spread and, and you can make an intelligent decision. Most of these platforms have analytics capabilities and uh, I see freight moving in that same direction and ultimately being in the same place. Yeah, I, I share your view. Uh, we certainly seen the uh, electronic booking, the, the load boards have started to play a bigger role. How does, I'm, I'm curious from your perspective where you're, you know, you're a big customer of the, the truck stops and the, the DATs and, and other marketplaces. Is there a point where there's a competitive concern or do you see it more as very similar to the financial markets as you have the, you have the NICE and the NASDAQ, New York Stock Exchange and the NASDAQ, and then you have these brokers like E-Trade and Merrill Lynch that play uh, as, as the trading in, uh, venues. But do you, what is your thoughts on that? Yeah, we obviously pick our partners carefully. I mean, we, we do believe that uh, some of these partnerships that you're talking about are important. You know, there's a data component, uh, there's there's market access um, for us, and there's access for shippers and carriers to us. Um, but you know, we don't we don't see them as competitors. I don't think they want to be competitors. They they have a, a an important function to play in the marketplace, and they play it. And and I think uh, understand their place and we understand ours. And I think the analogy is good to the financial markets. You've, you've got the exchanges and then you've got the brokerage firms. And, and I see those companies that you mentioned as being exchanges and, and more the brokerage that manages uh, the buyers and sellers. Yeah, I can't imagine that truck stop based on the last valuation would want to be take the valuation of a, a, a 3PL uh, in this market versus a SaaS platform. Uh, what are your thoughts and valuations in the 3PL market? Are we going to see, is it going to be a more difficult market for the, in the private equity, uh, private sector? Is it going to be more difficult going forward? Or, or do you think we'll see a return to sort of this bullish nature in valuations? Well, let me, I'll start in the public markets and then I'll go to the private. Uh, you know, traditionally public companies had higher valuations than private companies. Uh, in, in the recent, uh, year or two, that's not been the case. Um, in our in our example, you know, one of the things that, that's an overhang for us is just uh, small caps have been out of favor now for 18 months. And so, uh, unless you're a large cap company, and of course the criteria to be considered a large cap company continues to move up over time, uh, you've, you've had the market forces against you. Uh, and we're at a unique time now where the private valuations are actually higher than the, than the public valuations. I think that'll change. It, it always does. It, it cycles. Um, 
If you look at the private markets, got a lot of private equity capital and venture capital uh, looking for a place to go to work. Uh, this is a big attractive space. Uh, you've got a lot of people that appreciate the concept of, of disintermediation. Uh, you see people you know, investing in that idea. It, the, the idea of automating an, an old school business I think is attractive. Uh, the ability to do M&A is attractive. And so for an investor in a private company uh, who's got a lot of money burning a hole in their pocket, plus access to cheap debt without covenants, uh, it's, it's a, an attractive market. I think that we're gonna come out of this and there's gonna be a lot of interest in our space because you know it, it's, it's gonna be at the bottom of the cycle and buyers wanna buy at the bottom. And so if they can get good valuations, I think you, you, in the short term, you might see multiples come down a little bit until the uncertainty clears. But I think the formula, the financial engineering formula still makes sense. If you can buy a company that's got good prospects for growth, good prospects to do M&A, good prospects to improve their productivity and their profitability using technology and data science, it's a great investment. And you can get leverage on that uh, very inexpensively these days. Uh, the banks are willing to lend and, and they make it pretty painless lending. And so I, I think we'll return back to normal M&A markets once we clear this cloud. Yeah, it certainly feels like uh, from a financial stock side, as you mentioned, small caps and particularly transportation stocks have taken a massive beating over the last 18 months, as you mentioned. Um, the nice thing about transportation stocks is they tend to be early in the rally. They tend to come back faster uh, when things are starting to rally back. So hopefully we'll see uh, some bullish signals in the uh, stock market because certainly uh, we want more capital into this industry, uh, regardless of whether it's in the private sector or in the public sector, uh, because that drives innovation and growth. I, I'm curious, from your perspective, what are you most concerned about for the rest of the year for 2020? What gives you the most pause or keeps you up at night? I just worry about the economy overall. Um, if you think about all the service workers that are unemployed at the moment, and uh, the money that they spend in the economy and the multiplier effect from that money, you know, that's all absent right now. And so when I think about the remainder of this year, um, I wonder how quickly are those people gonna be coming back to work? You know, if, if a restaurant opens up and they have to have half the number of tables for social distancing reasons, uh, that, that, revenue, that restaurant's gonna do half the revenue and they don't need as many employees. So. I think uh, higher unemployment could be a problem. Um, I think there's there's going to be business failures, and that's that's a problem for our economy. So, I, I actually feel very fortunate to be in the industry that I'm in and be part of the supply chain because, frankly, we're relatively unscathed by all of this. You know, there's there's still product moving. But when I think about the overall macro economy, um, there's going to be some big holes in it, and it, it could be a multi-year recovery, and 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 the impact that it has. Uh, throughout the economy because that money's not flowing is a concern to me. Now, we've, we've had an awful lot of fiscal stimulus, um, and regardless of your politics, I think in times like these, you need fiscal stimulus uh, to jumpstart the economy again and, and cushion the blow. So I'm hope, hopeful that that has an impact, but uh, we've got to wait it out and see what plays out. Yeah, every capitalist has become a Keynesian fan in this market because 
six trillion dollars going to the economy, and we're not a, that's six trillion in the U.S. economy, not to mention global, which is you know just adds multiples to what we're talking about here in the U.S. It is interesting, but you bring up a really important point, which is logistics and supply chains. I think people are now more aware about the importance of having uh, a really well-running supply chain, visibility to the market than ever before. And I think that certainly uh, will hopefully uh, create a lot of investment opportunity for both innovation and uh, uh, growth inside the sector. Yeah, I think um, when you think about the fact that our healthcare workers can't get masks and we can't get supplies and ventilators and drugs and all the things that we needed in in real time to deal with this crisis, it just speaks to the importance of supply chain, you know, all all the way from manufacture to the end user. And and so, uh, if anything, it shines a light on the importance of our industry and and kind of the need for it to be vibrant. And... uh, important for the economy. I think what transportation in, in full is 10% of GDP, and, and so uh, what we do in this industry matters a lot. Yeah, Doug, do you think domestic manufacturing and domestic sourcing becomes a bigger part of, of shippers? Are you hearing that right now? You know, I, I don't I don't have any data on that, but, but I'm hearing anecdotally that companies are thinking a lot about, you know, onshoring their manufacturing and getting away from the political and, and the international issues that can disrupt their supply chain. And, and uh, you know, I don't know if that's good or bad. I'm, you know, we, we, we buy cheap products from companies, countries with cheap labor, and, and that's been part of the formula for the last 50 years. But, you know, maybe maybe it's time for a change. And, and uh, you know, if there's more product being manufactured domestically, it means probably more freight. So. Yeah, we're both, bullish, we're both bullish on that. Doug, one bold call for the next five years. Make one bold call, one prediction that we wouldn't expect. Boy, you're putting me on the spot. Uh, bold call. Well, I think that you're going to continue to see a technology arms race in our industry. I think that the asset-based players are going to jump on board with that. I, I think that... Uh, We've been slow to get to where we are with with technology, but I think it's going to accelerate, and it's going to accelerate mostly because the the shippers and carriers are, are going to adopt it faster than they have. You know, I can think back early in my career when we did simple things like put LTL rates on a on a floppy disk and and give it to customers. You know, and uh, they didn't have a PC to use the the, the data. Um, you know, and and. Some shippers would say, well, I, I don't have a budget to get a PC, you know, and it was just this this lagging adoption. And, and with a carrier, it's even more pronounced, especially with a, a small carrier that's got five or 10 or 20 trucks. But I, I think people are waking up and it's kind of like a cell phone, right? You know, there was a period of time where it was kind of a novelty and then there was a period of time where it was a luxury. And now everybody's got one, including fifth graders. Um, I, I think that you're going to see the rate of adoption of technology accelerate, and it will make you know the investments that we and others are, are making all the more important. And going with the technology is the data. You know, uh, technology on its own doesn't really do much. You've got to have data to drive it. And uh, you know, people like you that are uh, accumulating and aggregating that data uh, is what makes the technology work. So I think there's going to be a technology and a data science explosion and it will revolutionize our industry and we'll look a lot more like those financial industry, uh, 
you know, analogies that we were talking about earlier. Yeah, I, I share that. I, I, it's going to be interesting to see how post-COVID, as we talked earlier, people going back to work or not going back to work. Also, what happens with uh, the rideshare services? Do they implement autonomous uh, vehicles? One of the things I was talking to an executive at a parcel company, it talks that this may, this may accelerate drone package deliveries in neighborhoods. You may see drivers and contactless delivery happen with some of the package and parcel services. So a lot to look forward to, a lot happening. Certainly, we hope that uh, your folks are staying well and healthy and continue uh, to serve this country. And uh, Doug, really appreciate you coming in and being a part of Freightways Live at Home. Thanks for having me, Craig. Appreciate it. Thank you. Uh, really appreciate you tuning in to Freightways Live at Home. We're going to continue to provide action-packed conversations like the one we just had with Doug and others. So be sure to tune in. You can also download uh, uh, the Freightways TV app on Apple TV. So if you haven't done that, it's a great time to do it. And if you've missed any of the conversations, they are available on demand on tv.freightways.com and on the Freightways TV app.